Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to see it. save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You made us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. Those are the first six verses of Psalm 80, which is the psalm appointed for today, Monday, August the 2nd, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thank you for being along. Uh, today we are continuing our study in the life of David, beginning in Second uh, Samuel 7, the first 17 verses there. Also, we will be in Acts 18, 1 to 11, and then in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 8, verses 11 to 21. <clears throat> so with David, that with all these things, you know, it, it's been an interesting season for me, certainly, that, that we have, um, Suzanne and I really believe right from the beginning of this ordeal with Will's uh, traumatic brain injury, that, that God was going to do something incredible, right? And so we believe that from the very first day. We gave him to the Lord and said, he's yours. He's always been yours. He was yours before he was ours, and he's always been yours, and he is, he is yours even to now. Whatever you want to do, we know to be good. And so um, after he made it through that first night uh, without any serious disruption in the evening, then Suzanne and I both believed that the Lord had told us that he was going to fully restore him. We didn't have any earthly idea that he would restore him as quickly as he did or as fully as he has. Uh, but, but he's a different person in so many ways since all this happened. And, and, but the, in the midst of all of this, the one thing that we could continue to rely upon is that we knew that the Lord had spoken to us. And as we traversed the journey and, and had so many discouraging words spoken along the way by medical professionals, we... Um, we didn't lose our equilibrium for very long at any given point in time. You know, it's, it's very difficult to hear something and, and not get knocked off center just a little bit. But, but the maintenance of the equilibrium had everything to do with the fact that we knew that God had spoken. And, and in these lessons today, that, that's kind of what you're going to see, is that how do you maintain your equilibrium? And how, do, how do you rely and rest in God's promises no matter what the situation is? In David's situation, what's happening here, and I preached this just a couple of weeks ago, um, it's David. David gets it in his mind. He he's at ease in his own home <clears throat> that King Hiram of Tyre had built for him, and so the Lord had given him rest from all his uh, surrounding enemies. And, and so David says um, to Nathan the prophet, "See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent." Remember, they just recently brought the ark to Jerusalem to the city of David, and so David is feeling a little bit guilty because he lives in this fine palace of a place and and the ark of god is in a tent and and so nathan says go for it do what all that's in your heart for the lord's with you but that night i mean because it sounds right you know it, it does it just i understand nathan's response to him go do all that's in your heart uh, for the Lord's with you. But that night, uh, the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, um, hey, I got a word for you, and I want you to tell David these things. Um, I, I don't need you to build me a house. I don't want you to build me a house. There will come one later who will come from your own body. He'll be your son after you die, and he'll build me a house. But, but at this moment in time, I don't need a house. I haven't asked you for a house. I appreciate the, the thought 
and, and the motive is fine, but no, that's not your task. In fact, what's going to happen is I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to make you into a house, David, and I'm going to make your name great, like the name of the great ones on the earth. And, and it's a similar promise to, to what God makes to Abraham. And similar in this way, and that is is that David is not going to be the one to enjoy the fullness of the promise and see the building of the temple. That's going to be Solomon's job. So Abraham, remember, didn't possess the land. The only thing he had in the land that God promised to give him and his, in, uh, his heirs, the only thing that he actually owned in the land was the cave in which he buried his wife. I mean, he, he buys the cave at Machpelah, and he buys that from, uh, the, from, the, from a person there in that place. He buys that cave and buries Sarah there. And that's the only piece of ground that he owned was, was a burial cave in that place. But it's a, it's a toehold in the land. And so it becomes the fulfillment of the promise. I mean, you, you want to be buried in the place that, that's yours. And that's the reason, in fact, that... Um, Jacob made his sons promise that they would take him up out of Egypt and bury him. And so they did when they left. They, they, they took him with them and buried him in the land that had been promised to the fathers. And so it's the same thing here with David. And, and the Lord just says, I haven't lived in a house since I brought my people of Israel up out of Egypt until this day. In all the places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, I've been in that tabernacle because that's the place that I appointed for my dwelling, and, I, and I've not asked anybody to do that. But I'm going to make you, your name great, David, and I'm going to give you rest from all your enemies. And then I'm going to appoint a place for my people where I'll plant them so that they can dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from your enemies. And then he speaks of the relationship that he'll have with David's son, I'll be to him like a father and he'll be to me like a son. When he commits iniquity, I'll punish him, discipline him with a rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul when I put him away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And, and that's exactly the way David lived the rest of his life. He, he lived, lived his life with certainty. And in peace, knowing that, that whatever situation he found himself in because of his sin with Bathsheba, for instance, he, he knew that ultimately God would win. And David, David from the beginning, never uh, took vengeance upon those who had wronged him. Now, he tells Solomon to do so <laughs> as he's lying on his deathbed. But, but David here it trusts the Lord. He believes the Lord no matter what. It looks like it's all going to come around right. It's going to come around exactly the way that you said it would be. And so he trusts in the Lord no matter what the situation looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to trust in the promise and the love of the Lord in all things. And we are to be those who have heard from him, honestly. I mean, it's, it's the truth that he wants to speak to us. Are we ready to listen, or do we have too many other cares? Sometimes what has to happen is, is, is that what happened with us, is that, that everything else has to be crowded out in order that the Lord can come in because we fill our lives with so many things, so much busyness. And, and so it's difficult, not for him to speak, but for us to hear. 
And he's only going to speak when we're hearing, when, when we're, our ears are tuned to him and him alone, when, when we're desperate to hear from him. Then we can hear from him. And if you've never been desperate, then I suggest that you find a way to get there because otherwise he will. But, but if you've heard a promise from the Lord for something, rest in that promise. Rest in that promise and do whatever he gives you to do along the way, and he'll take care of the whole thing. In the gospel lesson today, in, in this Mark lesson, the Pharisees come and begin to argue with him. They, they want a sign from him, from heaven, to test him. I mean, has he not given enough signs? Have you missed everything that he's done? You know, with the demons, with the, uh, the healings, the restoration of sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, crippled men walking immediately and carrying a burden at the same time. All the things that Jesus has done, you, you, none of those are signs that convince you. He's already proposed right in the beginning what the signs would be. He, he proposed from Isaiah. He says, here's the things that are going to happen in the time of Messiah, and in this day, this prophecy is fulfilled, and, and so keep your eye on him. He told you exactly what kind of sign to look for, and, and it's a biblical sign. It's from a prophet, and so then he goes about fulfilling all of those things. So why are they asking for a sign? It's, it's because the signs that he's given don't point to the kind of Messiah they're looking for. They want this messianic king who will come in and overthrow Rome and kick Rome out and set up uh, the capital of the world, really, uh, for Yahweh in Jerusalem. And, and it would be a, an earthly kingdom. And, and that's what they're looking for. And Jesus hasn't provided a sign that would convince them that he's the Messiah because they're looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. And so Jesus says, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And then he left. He got in the boat and went to the other side. Um, in, in Matthew's gospel, the sign, it says that he gave, he gave him a sign. He says, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And then it becomes a question of what is the sign of Jonah? Is it three days in the, boat, in, the, um, in the belly of the fish? So, in other words, he's dead? Or is there some other sign of Jonah that Jesus is pointing to? So they get in the boat with the disciples, and he, he starts to go to the other side of the lake, uh, of the Sea of Galilee. And, but they'd forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And there's 13 of them. And, and he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. We're accustomed to reading the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but not here. It's Herod that he says, Beware of that leaven. Now, remember, again, Herod's a Jew. But he's, he's a non-observant Jew, to say the least. And, and he is living in sin, the sin that John the Baptist called him out on because he's, he's married to his, his brother's ex-wife. And so what is specifically is Jesus talking about with the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod? And, and the problem is, is that, that you inject legalism into the game, and then you get religion. And then you, you um, inject sort of the opposite of legalism, antinomianism uh, against the law, is essentially what that means, that it denies the force of the law. And you, and you get a different sort of thing. But, but people begin to accept that, and they begin to feed on it. The, the, the leaven leavens the whole loaf, and so legalism can become the order of the day, or antinomianism can become the order of the day. I had a guy in the church years ago who used to come to me all the time and tell me that the, the uh, Old Testament had no effect on Christians because you have Christ within you. 
Well, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is such that it wants us to know the Word of God, and it wants us to do the Word of God, and to do the commandments of God. And so the problem that he had was he had a sort of a charismatic antinomianism. Um, well, you don't have utter freedom. Your freedoms are circumscribed by the law. And the law is interpreted by Jesus. And the, he's the one who brings the law up in Matthew 5. And he doesn't bring every single jot and tittle of the law up, but he, but he says that all of it's got to be fulfilled. And he brings up the portions of the law that he talks about in order to say that, that all of it matters. Not the ceremonial and the ritual issues, but the, but the main life ethical sorts of things are, are the things that he brings in there. And so he, he's here telling them to beware of those two uh, possibilities, the, the leaven of legalism and the leaven of, of antinomianism, which denies that there is any force of the law at all. So he begins to, they begin discussing what they're, what they're going to do about bread. <laughs> and, and he says, what are you doing? Why are you talking about bread? Why are you concerned about not having bread? Didn't you see me feed 5,000 one day and 4,000 another day, and, and there was plenty left over? And he says, don't you understand yet? I mean, it's hard to rely on the promises when we don't actually understand the promises and when we, when we misapply them, like the Pharisees have done with the sign. They, they've misapplied them because they're looking for a different kind of a Messiah. Are we looking for the right kind of God? Do we, do we understand what kind of God we have? We, we don't have a God who promised us health and wealth. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And then that becomes the leaven of Herod. And we, we don't have either a, a God who, who's making a list and checking it twice, going to see who's naughty and nice. That's not who he is either. That's legalism. That's legalism. If you're controlled by, by fear and you're controlled by doubt and, and you wonder if you're actually saved because you have sin in your life, then, then you're being controlled by the leaven of the Pharisees. And, and you need to get rid of that leaven. It needs to go away. And it needs to go away permanently. You need to, to trust in mercy and trust in grace and trust in the cross. Trust that Jesus took on your sins and, and then fall and, and run to that cross with your sins. That he might take those on, that you might not continue to bear the burden. And so then in, in this Acts lesson, what you get is Paul leaves Athens after disputing with him in the Areopagus and he goes to Corinth. And we know that he's written at least two letters to the Corinthian church, and we think there's three in there because there's one that seems to be missing at some level if you read Second Corinthians. Uh, so he goes to Corinth, and he meets there a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And they came because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So they come there, and Paul stays with them and hangs out with them because they're doing the same job. They're tent makers, and so Paul's a tent maker. And so every day in the marketplace, they're together. And then on the Sabbath, he's in the synagogue uh, arguing, reasoning, and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And then Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia, and Paul was busy, and he was testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus, but then they begin to, to dispute with him and oppose him. And he finally, he just gets fed up with it. And he, he says, you know, that I, I, I'm out of here. Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent from now on. I'll go to the Gentiles. So he leaves and he goes next door <laughs> to the synagogue. There's a, a, a worshiper of God there named Titius Justus, and that, that's a Roman name. And so he, he's a, a proselyte. He's a guy who has not taken the final step of um, being circumcised. And so Paul stays with him but the ruler of the synagogue 
actually believed in the Lord with the whole, his whole household. And, and so then many of the Corinthians were there, and, and they were hearing Paul, and they were believing and being baptized. And, and then Paul gets a vision, just like Nathan got a vision. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. And don't be silent, for I'm with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So Paul knew that, it, that if he persevered there, nobody was going to harm him there. So he was safe from harm. It didn't mean he was safe from opposition. Just meant he was safe from harm. No one, no one was going to physically harm Paul while he was there, and so he stayed eighteen months, which is longer than he stayed anywhere else. And he was just teaching the word of God among them, even in spite of the opposition. As long as there's no physical harm, Paul's not concerned about it at all. In fact, there were places we've seen before where where he had, did face physical harm, and he didn't get concerned about it. But here, he's got a promise that he's going to have a certain kind of rest during this period of time. And so he settles in and he stays for 18 months. And, and so we're called to have that same kind of confidence in God's word, in, in his word um, in the Bible, but also his word to us as, as individuals because he wants to speak to us. Let me, let me say that about 15 more times so you'll know that I'm telling the truth on that. And, and so you'll get it through that he wants to speak to you because you're his beloved child. He wants to speak to you. You need to get still and trust that he will speak to you because he's a good, good father. And so it, it's, it's our, we have a need, actually, to hear God's voice so that we can let everything else we're concerned about go and we can just pursue what it is that he's telling us to pursue. He wants to give you that peace and that rest, and that's what his voice will tell you. You need to seek that out, to hear that, so that you'll have the confidence that David had, the confidence that Paul had, the confidence that Jesus had, to know what God's promise to you as an individual is this day.